Hello and welcome to the fourth ever episode of What Most People Think. Thank you first up to all the positive feedback we had for our first guest episode with Andrew Doyle, the evil patriarch behind Titania McGrath. Uh, everyone said how nice it was for me to be speaking to somebody else, how positive it was to hear another voice on the podcast, to the point where I started to think this is a bit hurtful. Okay, I put in the hard yards on the first two episodes and then the moment someone comes up, oh Andrew, Andrew is great, get more guests on, fuck you, all right? I'm going to be really selective. I mean, the point is, I, I won't be able to do guests every time, but we will do them maybe every third, fourth episode. But I just want to bring you people that will be, I think will be interesting to you. Not the sort of standard political voices, not necessarily voices that I even agree with, but contrarian, a bit interesting. Um, off the back of that, actually, I did have a few people asking me, I get this question every once in a while, which is, uh, Jeff, are you a, are you a character? Is it, is it, are you a spoof? That's what I said. Are you a spoof, Jeffrey? Are you a parody? <laughs> that's, how, that's how their minds work. Everything's like some fucking parlor game for them. Uh, yeah, okay. If you know, if you want to think of me as a character, fine. I'm a character. I just the only caveat is that I managed to, well, I chose to keep um, the same name, uh, my same voice, same way of dressing, talking, political beliefs. But other than that, if thinking I'm a character is what allows you to come to my shows or download my podcast, then then knock yourself out. So just a quick thank you, uh, thank yous and fuck yous, is thank you to people buying tickets. There's been a real surge of that for the tour, uh, Taking Liberties, which is going around the UK in the autumn. But fuck you to the people of Aberdeen, Belfast and Glasgow. Now, obviously I don't really mean fuck you, but I really thought, though, this tour, I always get that criticism, or you call it a UK tour, but you don't really get out and about. Uh, I've decided to go as far as I can, Aberdeen, Belfast, and I'm not saying we haven't sold any tickets, I'm saying we haven't sold many, all right? And the worst thing about this is that I was the one that really pushed for this with my agent, with my promoter. I was like, no, we've got to do this, man. We've got to get to Belfast. I've had literally seven tweets telling me I need to come to Belfast. And it turns out that seven fucking tweets was the only seven people that wanted to come. I'd like to say a thank you also to my son, who's learned the words to Uptown Funk. And the, the main reason I like this, because one, it's cute seeing a toddler um, singing, but also the bit he likes singing most is Uptown Funk You Up. Say Uptown Funk You Up. And it sounds like he's saying fuck. That's how immature I am. I'm, I, I get to laugh at my son swearing i get to laugh at a toddler swearing which we'll all agree is one of the greatest thing you'll ever encounter but under the guise of uh, kind of like toddlertainment and toddlertainment that's a creepy word i've just invented toddlertainment jesus that sounds like something you'd look up on the dark web anyway also a fuck you to uh, the woman at a gig recently who asked me to swear less right Swear less. Listen, love, okay, it was, she was on her Hindu. Because you know what women are like in their Hindu? They feel like there's this kind of like, uh, this sort of regal powers is bestowed on them for the evening. I, I said the word, I said the word gun, and she, she went, oh, I don't like that word. And so, somewhat childishly, I proceeded to say that word 25 more times in the next 10 seconds. Now, look, she, she shouldn't have asked me to do that, right? Equally, I should have maybe said it like 11 times in the next 10 seconds, so... Cunt. Now, coming up, we've got Brexit. I know we've uh, spoken about it in every episode so far, but it's it's huge. And also, I, there's not that many people, the Brexit side of the fence, doing comedy about it. And when I say not many people, I mean like four of us. Yeah. So I sort of feel like a duty 
to, 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 to put some stuff out there, how I see things, and we'll be chatting about that. We'll be chatting about things like Nick Bowles and Dominic Grieve and the Tigs becoming the Cucks and all that sort of thing. We'll also be talking about the, the left, the liberal left in particular, their relationship with youth. You know, I'm not linking this to toddlertainment or anything dodgy like that, but I'm just saying the liberal left are always inspired by youth, and I'm trying to get the grips of, of why they find young people so politically motivating. In a bit of bollocks, we'll be talking about soft play areas. I've become become a bit of a veteran now of the soft play area scene, and I've got some wisdom to share for you. In men's health, it's a bit of a heavier one this time. We're talking about survivor's guilt, right? So it's to do with grief. So if, you, if you're that emotionally retentive, just, just hit mute for that bit. And I don't know, play Call of Duty or something. Okay, so for Brexit, we've actually got to throw back a little bit because uh, since we since the last show, we had the the people's vote, people's vote three was it? People's vote two? I lose count, but um, but there was a lot of hype around it. Obviously, there was a uh, a million people turned up. A million. Well, of course, it didn't turn out that it wasn't. It wasn't a million people turned up. It's a suspiciously round number to begin with. If I was the people's vote, I would have gone nine hundred thousand. You would have got way less scrutiny on the numbers if you'd have just shaved it off. But no, you had to go for the million. It's the same as when they did the uh, the signatures at Downing Street. That was a million as well. And they called a million, right? While there were people still turning up on the morning, like that number was was doing the rounds. While you still still saw videos of people on their people's vote road trip uh, into into London. I don't know if anybody searched the people's vote road trip, but if, if if you get a second now, just pause the podcast, just go on Twitter and do hashtag PV road trip. Some of the funniest things you've ever seen, because some of them had written like choir songs, hymns to the EU, it was one of the most, I'm sorry, I don't like to be mean about everyday people, but there's one of those pathetic things I've ever seen, people sitting there going, Theresa May, you need to refocus article 50 now. I mean, I would think that your your moderate Remainers, what, you were just losing them, but I, I would imagine that moderate, moderate Remainers would just go in WTO right there and then. I, I mean, it just. I, I, I did a tweet um, saying, "Oh fuck it, remain. Just make them stop singing." And in in the febrile political world that we're living, that then got retweeted by a couple of high profile people. And then were people. Then I had leavers going, "Oh yeah, Norcott. Yeah, you jumped ship, have you? Yeah, you quit. Just like the, they got to you as well." I'm like, "No, it's a fucking joke. Can everybody just relax a little bit?" And then, of course, the following week, uh, last weekend, we had the "Leave Means Leave" protest. And yeah, there were less people there. I'm not surprised by that at all. The fact that working people actually work. And it was a weekday. It was a, it was a weekday as well. The idea that working people, they've got a little bit less scope, have they, financially, to have a nice little day trip into London, you know, pack a cool bag full of dips and carrot batons, right? It was, and that, you know, London is the, the most, the remainiest of the remainers. It's the capital of Remain. So yeah, you got more fans at a home game. Well done. And, and, you know, from the nature of the discussion online, it did, you, I was starting to get the vibe that, that a lot of Remainers think that actual votes shouldn't, shouldn't be decided on votes. Maybe they should be, you know, on, on whose protesters seem nicer, right? That, you know, who's got the nicer people on the face of it? I think maybe it should be like, um, I don't know, like a heptathlon or something where, where it comes down to an, a, an aggregate of, you know, nice-looking marchers, witty banners, witty ba- e-petitions... 
right? And then, you know, they're not total fascists, so maybe the vote should account for perhaps 10, 10% of, of, of a democratic decision, you know? Like, you know, like when you did GCSEs and some of it was practical or... or maybe that's how Remainers think that, um, that votes should be decided. And then since then we had, uh, we had of course, Dominic Grieve, who was uh, viciously deselected by his Tory association meeting and everyone shared the video and they overdid it in the text where they said this is the, the disturbing footage the disturbing footage of of, of honorable dominic grieve who they never knew of right until he tabled his amendment that they happened to agree with uh dominic grieve being viciously heckled and bullied and i watched the video and it was a few people go rubbish i don't agree with you i think look you're not as a stand-up comedian you're not you're not going to win me any sympathy he went against, right? He went against the vote. He went against uh, the referendum and he went against the manifesto, right? He's entitled to do that. But equally, let's just be realistic that people are going to be a little bit pissed off. But and more to the point, it's like it wasn't that vicious a heckling. I have stood on stage, right? I have stood on stage as a cockney in Newcastle, yeah, to just, just being booed. Just being booed the whole time I was up there because because I said I'm from London, right? It was a mistake on reflection. I'll give you that. I shouldn't have opened with that. Hi, I'm Jeff. I'm from London. Boo! Fucking Cockney bastard. And then we had Nick Bowles the other night. Nick Bowles, who uh, who who did the biggest political flounce out I've ever seen. It was it was special. And again, I, I, I know that there's a lot of people saying it's a serious time in politics, and certainly from a conservative point of view, there's a lot of people who rate Nick Bowles and stuff. But he 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 called a point of order and then he said, I, I I'm quitting the Conservative Party whip, right? Fair enough, but then he turned on his heels. There's something about the way he turned on his heels that it went from like a political statement to a flounce. And then and then and this was my favourite bit, and this is just how childish I am, is that one of his colleagues started going, Nick. Nick, don't go. Oh, Nick. Oh, Nick, don't. Nick, don't go. Oh, there was something funny about it. I'm sorry. There was something very partridge about it. I think I need to play it to you, right? Give, give me a second. I'm going to get the clip up. Okay, I found the clip, uh, and here, here, here's Nick, but, but listen out for the guy at the end. I regret, therefore, to announce that I can no longer sit for this party. Oh, Nick. Nick, don't go. Come on. No, I'm sorry. That's funny. Oh, Nick, Nick, don't go. Oh, come on, Nick. I mean, like, he used the word party as well. So the problem, therefore, is it invokes the idea of somebody just, like, <laughs> being offended um, at an actual party. Um, yeah, I just... Nick, Nick, don't go. Nick, oh. Nick, come on, Nick. Come on, Nick. <laughs> come on, Tim. I'm sorry, I know that this is deeply troubling. Maybe like this is gallows humour. I know that democratically things are as fucked as they've ever been. So what I really need is a guy going, come, come on, Nick, 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 don't go. In my mind, right? In my mind, every single time I'm at a party or one of my mates gets the hump, I'm going to be, I know I'm laughing at my own finger, but I'm going to be, I'm going to be mentally going, Nick, come on, Nick, 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 I'll go, Nick. Anyway, Get your shit together, Jeff. So we had also the Tigs. <laughs> Sorry, this is funny too. The Tigs, the independent group, decided to change their name to Change UK. Okay? Firstly, that abbreviates to Cuck. Now, um, if you had any knowledge of the internet, uh, you would know that that's not necessarily the wisest abbrevi abbreviation. 
And, and when you're the party that wants to remain cozied up to the establishment, the status quo, then, then cuck isn't necessarily um, the name that you want to go for. But they, they also, they, they didn't check whether or not that name was already taken. So get this, the, the independent group are so independent, they pick a name that someone else has, right? And that, that name is change, but they're not going to be able to change it to that legally because somebody else already has it that name but it doesn't matter anyway because they're not really the party of change either they're the status quo party they are i have come around to to thinking that it's actually a genius idea because for quite some time there is a branch of people on the liberal left that what they really want right is they don't really want proper left-wing policies you know they don't they don't they're kind of happy for this sort of pale blue neoliberalism it kind of suits their ends what they really want to do is they want to oppose the right things and kind of, uh, you know, turn, look the other way while the Tories do what needs to be done. So this is, uh, this is, this is ideal for them, right? And they're, they're unwilling. If you want to look at the paradoxes that are already at the heart of the, uh, the, the, the cucks, is <laughs> um, that they campaigned for parties at the last election that, that essentially committed to what would be called a hard Brexit, but in fact it's just Brexit. And, and since they've changed that, they now said that they're a new party and they're unwilling to offer the public a second vote. So just like everybody in the Brexit debate, they are they are beset by a fucking paradox. What most people think. At this point in Brexit, it's worth all of us considering that, quite simply, you might be wrong. You might have been wrong about everything, okay? And one thing you might be wrong about is no deal. Now, I'm not denying that the vast majority of experts and politicians are lining up to say that it would be a huge disruption and problem for the British economy and political system. But you might be wrong. Now, what if, what if they are wrong? You know, what, and, and when you've got the whole political class, the vast majority of uh, political commentators, politicians have been saying that it can't be anything other than a, a comprehensive clusterfuck. I'd try and stop it too. I'd try and stop it too, because, because what if you're wrong? That's what I'm saying. What if you, the whole liberal left, the whole centre, right, of, of British politics... What would happen is if no deal somehow happened by default and it was reasonably benevolent, these people, their credibility is, is spent, right? That's like me saying to my son where I had some cupboard of stuff that I didn't want him to, to go in, right? I just didn't want him to go in the cupboard when I wasn't there. So I told him that there were, there were monsters in the cupboard, okay? Then one day he wants to see the cupboard. I can't let him see the cupboard is what I'm saying. He can never see the cupboard, I was going to say with that analogy to begin with that the way I keep my porn. But one, I mean, that's just a fucking weird thing to say anyway. And two, it's who keeps porn anymore? That wouldn't have worked on any level. Oh, where I keep my, where daddy keeps his dirty mags. <laughs> At least that's one, one thing that we've changed over the course of time is that sons will never have to stumble across their dad's dirty mags anymore. Uh, you know, if they're quite tech savvy, they might come across their internet history, and, and in many ways, that probably would be more disturbing. Look, anyway, this is <laughs> let's stick with the politics here. So Theresa had a seven-hour meeting or eight-hour meeting. Everyone had to hide, everyone had to hand in their phones like they were turning up at a Drake concert. And, and, and at the end of that meeting, um, they she's decided to, to to plot up Jeremy. All right, Jeremy, get warmed up, son. You're coming on, okay? Now, this is an interesting point. Obviously, there was a huge backlash from pretty much all Tories, you know, disgust from the ERG. And, and yeah, I, I didn't like the look of it because I think that it leads to a customs union, which, I mean, if there's one thing, right, you could say about Brexit is there, were ambig there was ambiguity over numbers. 
over certain claims. But one thing that every single uh, Leave campaign has said was that Brexit would allow us to make our own trade deals going forward, which means you have to be out of the customs union. So any Brexit that involves being in the customs union is a contradiction of one of the only things that the Leave campaign was unambiguous about, right? Say, so, you know, when they say, or oh, people didn't know what they were voting for, you know what? We, we've, we've been able to make our own trade deals. Actually, 100% of people did. Uh, and Theresa May does have, there's a lot of things she doesn't have, but one of the things she does have is, is long game. She has been doing this a while. She was one of the longest ever, I think she was the longest ever home sec- serving Home Secretary. And now, like, this this weird moment where, where Labour's hand gets called to an, to an extent. And, and how tense must Keir Starmer be? Right, he of all people. I, I don't. I don't agree with Keir Starmer's politics, but he's. He, you know, he's a bright guy. He knows how limited Jeremy really is. Right, you know that he, he's probably standing there coaching the fuck out of him. Right, okay, Jeremy. Okay, remember, remember the six tests, Jeremy. He's like, I thought there were five. Six, Jeremy. For God's sake, man. Come on, come on. Now, what do we want? He's like Brexit. No, Jeremy. We do well. We do. But we don't. Well, what we really want to do is set six impossible tests. And now our impossible tests might get a chance to be tested. And we don't want that, Jeremy. You understand? You can't give that sort of confusing information to an old man of Jeremy's age. It's beyond him. And, you know, Theresa's contradicted herself again. If that's one thing, there's one thing that you can be sure about her is that she will contradict herself, which must be weird for Philip May, right? knowing that she'll contradict herself at some point. Like, what if what if he gets a bit, a bit weird about the amount of time she's been spending with Philip Hammond, yeah? And he says, well, is there, you know, what's going on there? Is there something going on? She's like, no, I'd just like to say I will never sleep with the Chancellor Philip Hammond. He's like, oh, my God, that means she's definitely going to fuck him. Definitely. I mean, that's what she's like, right? She'll probably say it another 108 times, but but <laughs> she will sleep with him in the end. You know, it is just such a failure, this whole thing of the political class, isn't it? And, and people often ask me, my Remainie type friends, you know, when they say, did you, did you regret it, Jeff? What that means is, uh, I, I think you should regret it and I'm giving you an opportunity to say as much, right? And I, I don't regret the vote to leave. I don't think it was unreasonable for the British public to be given a choice on how they were governed and to, you know, extricate themselves from from a turgid, intransient, supranational state. I would never not think that, right? One thing I do regret is for thinking that this parliament had the talent to pull it off, right? For this parliament had the talent and the application, because they don't, do they? Not one of them, not not across the house. I mean, there's the odd smart person there, but as, as a whole, you know, what? Look, I know that 70 grand a year is a lot of money in anybody's terms, but if you look at trying to get the very best people to do the very hardest jobs. We're not we're not getting those people, are you, for 70 grand. It's a good wage, but for that money, you you're not getting premiership, are you? You get what you get. We're getting the League 1 minds of this country. Now my football team AFC Wimbledon playing League 1. It's a great division. It's entertaining. But sometimes it's entertaining because of the levels of incompetence, right? It's funny. You know, you get some old cloggers in there. You know, you get some young upstarts, you think well they won't be around for long. But that, you know, and every so often someone steps up, right? Yeah, you know, like if you're really good at this, that's what politics is, is you serve your term and then you go and earn some proper cheddar afterwards, right? That's what Parliament is. is it's kind of like a, uh, an intellectual, an economic feeder club, isn't it? The really good people will, will do a decent job and, and then go on to bigger and better things. So if you want, yeah, if anybody's been waiting for me to, to express a single regret about Brexit, is it, that perhaps that I just... 
I, 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 I overestimated the, the, the talent uh, of Parliament to deliver something radical. And, then, you know, there's, there's a depressing reality in that, is that this is the first time in my life that the, the Parliament have been asked to do something radical and they haven't been able to do it. So going forward, good luck to any uh, left-wing parties trying to campaign on a radical ticket at the next election because the British public will quite legitimately say, well, you won't be able to get it through, will you? What if, what if the CBI and Gary Lineker decide that they don't want you to renationalise the trains, eh? What about that? Okay, just a, a few plugs. As much as I was saying earlier that there was a couple of venues where the tour, you know, was taking a while to get going, there are some where it's really streaking ahead. So this is just saying to people at the following venues, if you live in these areas and you want to come, it would be an idea to get your tickets quickly. Uh, Guildford, uh, that's looking quite close to selling out. Leicester Square Theatre in London, that sold really well. Reading, uh, Didcot. I know some of you are going, yeah, in the southeast, Jeff. Maybe you should just stick there. Fuck you, all right? I've sold out in... in in Salford and I don't know fuck I'm just trying to think Lancaster I've sold out dates in Lancaster so yeah two whole dates outside of you know Birmingham as well yeah, it's north of me okay before you ask and Bristol Bristol's selling well as well very well and I sold out in Bristol before last time and, and that is I mean that is outside of London that, I mean that's that's more than left wing they think in Bristol they think Cor- Corbyn is some fucking woolly centrist alright so just saying if you're thinking of coming to those shows go and uh, Jeff Norcott Live Nation get your tickets and just a couple of other plugs I've given the YouTube page a bit of a zhuzh up all my videos and stuff are there please give that a subscribe it all looks nice and fancy now and the recent video of clips that i did uh is on youtube as are all my videos so um let's get back to it this sort of social side of things i want to talk about is and this was in a way stimulated by stimulated triggered i don't know started by the people's vote march which was Kids taking people taking their kids to political marches. I don't get that. I find that odd. You know, I mean, fair enough if you can't get babysitting, right? But what you get the sense of is you, you see the kind of people that go on marches these days, whether they're anti austerity or, or more commonly now uh, anti um, Brexit marches, and they look like the kind of people that would normally be against indoctrination, right? I'd imagine they're not necessarily churchgoers. You know, probably a lot of them, uh, you know, would describe as atheists, but there is a kind of indoctrination, isn't it? Because before your kids really had a chance to decide, you're you're telling your kid essentially what their opinions are. Just going, yeah, Phoebe, okay, Phoebe, I know you're eight, okay, but these are your opinions. I'm not telling you what to believe. But when it comes to God, but when it comes to EU, you you are you are very pro EU, Phoebe. You are left wing, but not that sort of left wing. I mean, not like properly left wing. You're sort of tiggy left wing. Uh, and by left by left wing, I just mean you're nice, Phoebe. You know, you wear the correct badges at the correct time. You. You'll say, occasionally say that you love the NHS uh, without any real uh, evidence of how to fund its ever-growing costs. I, I would never tell my son. I would never tell my son what to, to think on politics. I mean, I already get that he's quite, you know, he's quite sensitive and stuff. So, I mean, look, and he, he's got to rebel against me, my son. So, I, I fuck, this, this shit is in the post for me, isn't it? He, you know, when he sees all this stuff on YouTube, I've said, and what if they're right about Brexit? You know what I mean? What if he gets to 20, right? And he's kind of like, you know, living in some Mad Max part of Shropshire. 
but the left are the left are get very passionate about young people and, and, and politics more so than, than they love young people. There was a girl on uh, Question Time recently, and she was brilliant. She spoke brilliantly, right? Sixteen year old, and and like the moment she'd finished articulating her point, I just knew that this clip was going to go viral. And she was just she was just coherent in what she said. But that's enough for the liberal left. They just it, you know this kind of thing. It makes makes my heart swell. It makes my is always on about their hearts. You know, like I would vote I would vote for her. I would vote for this teenager. I would because she just, oh, it just, you know, it makes me so proud that, you know, young people think what I think and the correct things in many ways. Votes for her. Votes for toddlers. Hooray. You know, it, it really gets them out of bed. Now, I'm not, I'm not pissing on that. Well, not completely, but it's like the kid who egged the senator in Australia. Remember that? You know, this a senator, this Australian senator who admittedly was a, a total, quite a malevolent prick, right? But the kid goes up and eggs him, and, and then kids, kids, you know, the left love this. They're like, yay for yay for the just child. Whoa, there's hope. There's hope for the future. I mean, the fact that a kid like violently assaults a politician gives them hope for the future. If it happened the other way around, right, it would give them despair for the future. The world is a dark place today because some children threw Haribo at her. They would think that, right? But if it's the other way, if it's in defense of their cause, it gives them hope for the future. I would vote for this boy. I would vote for him. They see, they see you, youth as hope, right? Because I, I guess in a way they've become synonymous with pessimism, the liberal left. And I, I think it's a problem for them because they're always the Cassandras now, aren't they? They're always the people telling you that everything is bad and it's going to get worse. Now, there might be some truth in that, but it's not good to, for that to be your brand. All the elections, rightly or wrongly, over the last five years in the West have been won on a message of hope. And if your message is always that things are getting bad and they're going to get worse, people aren't that likely to vote for it. And and, and the rhetoric and narrative coming out of the liberal left is, it's always, these are dark times, you know, these are dark times we live in. Even though their life is like still fucking awesome, you know. And these are, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. And you think, the world, how, that's a bit of a reach, isn't it? That's a bit parochial. Like, ask the rising middle class in, in China or India or, or just generally, globally, the, the, the huge reduction in poverty and, and the huge extension of, uh, of life expectancy. But no, because, because you might have to renew your pet passport to go skiing. I don't, I don't know why your pet's going skiing. Why would a pet go skiing? You know, they got very excited as well uh, in the last election about the youth quake, which I've already commented on. You know, it uh, wasn't much of a youth quake, was it? It was a, an uplift of 2.5%. And that was the most that young people were ever pitched to in a general election. I, I, I can't remember them ever being spoken to directly more than that, right? And, and what did it result in? 2.5% uplift. I don't know. I don't know where the youth are now. I don't know how Grime feels about Corbyn now. Is Grime still for Corbyn? What's Grime for now? Is Grime for Cuck? Might slightly depend on how many Jewish rappers there are as to whether or not they're still into the whole Corbyn thing. I always found it weird that Grime was for Corbyn. I would have thought that one of the things I admire about young UK hip-hop and Grime artists is, is that they're aspirational, right? I mean, it's just controversial to put it out there, but I would argue that, you know, looking at the, their videos and, and how they feel about lifestyle, I'd say that they are all, they're all One Nation Tories. <laughs> One Nation Tories! That, look, that wasn't a good impression of Grime. That was an impression of Tim Westwood. So I'm sorry to anybody in the Grime community. You would not want to be associated with Tim Westwood. Yeah, Tim Westwood. That's right. One Nation Tory holding it down with my man Sanjid. Sanjid. 
<laughs> I, look, he hasn't been on the radio a while. I have no idea if that impression still holds up. He was, he was funny, though, Tim. I mean, God, like he quit at the right time just before cultural appropriation, didn't he? I mean, this kind of, like, wasn't he a vicar's son from Swindon? That's right, I'm from Swindon. Yeah, I'm still busting moves. He's probably, like, on B- BBC Radio 6. I don't know. So the point is, like, um, make politics more accessible to young people. They always say that. Now, I, I don't think we should. I don't think we should. If you can't see how important it is, politics, you know, it's got to be funky, it's got to be relevant. Like, it don't, no. It, do, it doesn't have to be those things, okay? You have to come to it, right? Politics doesn't have to fucking put on lipstick for you. It will never be more sexy than it is right now. I think, I think we should actually, I think we should raise the voting age, Yeah. I think we should raise it. 18 is too young, isn't it? I I think you need to have skin in the game economically. <laughs> I, I think you need to know. I think you need to know what. I think you need to have experienced uh, economic night night terrors before you're actually allowed to vote on anything. I think you should need to have a mortgage. That's what you should need. Okay. It, instead of when you go to the polling booth, instead of presenting a polling card, you just need to present a mortgage statement, right? And they just need to look and see the fear in your eyes. They go, okay, he's ready. Okay, we're talking about a bit of bollocks now. I went to a soft play area. I've been, I've been a dad now for three years and I am a bit of a veteran of the soft play scene. And I went there the other day, I went to one in Stevenage. At first I had a weird situation where uh, me and uh, all the rest of us were dads. All the re- all of us, there was only four parents in there and all of us were dads. And I just, it was just this weird vibe. Like when there's mainly women there, I kind of like, you know, I'm, 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 I communicate a bit more they like to communicate, don't they? You know, morning, you know, little raise of the eyebrows. You have to do that with the women at soft play areas, you know, show like there's some sort of community thing. But with men, it was just like, we were just like, okay, can we all pretend that none of the rest of us are here? That's how we felt about it. Because we all, it was during the day, and I think that the, the undercurrent, certainly for me, was that I didn't want them to think that I didn't have a job. I think we're all feeling that. Okay, I, if I'd have just called it and just said, lads, who here, who here is self-employed and works on flexi time? And then we'd all gone, yeah. Then we'd have just chilled. We'd have got on. But no, we just we just stuck with it. But I, I prefer going to soft players when um, when they're quiet like that. Because when you go when you go when it's busy, what is that? That is not soft play. Is like the last thing it is. It's let's call it what it is. It's a diet hunger games, isn't it? We're giving it. We're giving these kids a taste of anarchy, and they seem to like it. And we wonder why they grow up left wing. And I look, I try. I try and stick up for men. I do. Because uh, obviously, you know, at the moment we're living through the age of toxic masculinity or men are toxic. I, I, this morning I woke up, a bit of toxicity straight away. And I was like, shit, I did, I did it again. So, you know, when it comes to soft play areas, I, I um, that's the most feminist I ever get. It is because cause boys are awful in soft play. They're just terrible. They're just the moment that Lord of the Flies shit kicks in, they are just, the roaring and the screaming. And this is one of the problems I've got when I go to soft play. Um, I am very defensive and protective of, of my son. I don't, I don't react to kids uh, in an age-appropriate way. If anyone crosses my son, I'm, <laughs> I'm angry with them like they're an adult. I don't know why. It just flicks a switch in my head. So actually, as much as I'm criticising boys at, at soft play areas, the problem the other day was from a girl. So I was sitting there having a cup of tea. My son was... He was in the ball pit, right? And then I just saw a girl say something to him and he came out and he looked a bit upset. I said, well, why did, why did you leave the ball pit? And he said, well, girl Harriet told me to. 
I was like, oh, did she now? Oh, all right, well, let's, uh, let's go and have a little word with Harriet, shall we? I went round, I was, I was properly ticking. I walked around there, right? Her dad was just sitting on his phone. So I started, you know, I was like, hey, Harriet, is it? Yeah, I th thought as much. I just want to say, um, just a little reminder, this, uh, it's a free country, Harriet. Yeah, it's not Russia, love. Yeah, so if my son wants to go in that ball pit, yeah, I don't know why. Why you got to be, why you got to be such a ball breaker, Harriet? I know, I know that word is politically awkward now, but it's not a nice thing to be. Why are you trying to castrate my son, Harriet? Yeah, what is it? Is mummy like that with daddy? Is that where you learnt it? So you get married, Harriet. Twenty years down the line, your husband he's away. He's away on business. He he he's only ten miles away, but he takes the hotel, Harriet. That's right. He takes the hotel because you know he doesn't want to. He'd rather be sitting in a travel lodge. Rather be sitting in a travel lodge watching Netflix than than be with you. And yeah, I look. There's an argument that I, I might have gone too far, but look, I think that something we're 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 reluctant to admit is that is that we have quite a visceral reaction to kids, don't we? But we're supposed you're supposed to like I don't know. Give them till what age is it to to you you treat another human as though they should take responsibility for their own personality, right? Might even be 25. I start at four. I start at four. I think you've got enough life experience. And, and at four to own it, right? And also four-year-olds, they have a vibe. Don't tell me they don't. It comes off bad, doesn't it, sometimes? You just, you know when you're meeting your friend's kid for the first time or, or a relative and you just make eye contact with a kid and you're just like, bam, um, we're not going to get on. I can tell that we're not going to get on for life. I, I don't know what it is in me that's like this. This is one of those awful moments where I'm thinking... I might just be alone on this point of view. Everyone might just be like going, this guy's a fucking psycho. Look, I, 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 on the face of it, I'm nice to that kid, okay? But all I'm saying is if I've already got that vibe coming off you and then you go and, <laughs> then you go and pull a Harriet, then, uh, well, the hammer might just come down. Okay, real men's health this week. It's a bit more of a, a, bit of a heavy one, this. It's about grief. Yeah? yeah, that's a click. That's the sound of just men. Men just turning off. Like, fuck this, man. I don't want to... <laughs> just stick with it, you pussies. Okay, you know what's brave? Is 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 talking about emotions. That apparently, that's what they say. Um, I argue sometimes what's really brave is to repress emotions and just push them down and pretend they don't exist. But look, I shouldn't be saying stuff like that here. I'm talking about grief. Not, not how, you, how you get off the missus. Yeah, we all get that right. Let's... <laughs> Okay, that's me trying to take the sting out of this. But let, you know, look, let's be real about this. Five years ago, okay, so we're talking about grief. Five years ago, I lost a lot of people very close to me in a short space of time. Yeah, boo fucking who? Yeah, but I went through the uh, I went through the usual grief thing, like the standard bits of grief that a lot of us know. You know, shock, denial, anger, acceptance, spending, inheritance, and stuff. <laughs> See, I have to try and puncture this thing. I'm sorry. Well, one thing that happened to me was in the second wave of my grief, which took me by a surprise, was survivor's guilt, right? Now, a lot of blokes get this coming back from war, and it seems on the face of it, I might be wrong, but to be a more uh, masculine approach to, to loss, what you get is you just get that feeling of guilt. It's on a simple level, you get that feeling of guilt that you get to carry on living and those people didn't, right? It's it's uh it's quite a, I think it's a good feeling in a way, but it's quite a noble feeling. You're essentially acknowledging that they were good people. When you have good moments in your life, that can often be 
the worst bit because you're like, shit, they don't, they don't get to have that. I mean, weirdly, it doesn't tend to go the other way. When we, <laughs> do you know what I mean? I mean, you think a lot of them, mate, look, they avoided all this Brexit stuff. So, um, but yeah, that's how it tends to manifest. Now, being me, I found this out in a ridiculous, blokey sort of way. I was watching, a few years ago, I was watching uh, Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk film, right? And, you know, that film is pretty emotional because A, it's about war, and uh, B, it's got spitfires in it. Always make me emotional. And I was talking to a counsellor, right? Because I was booing my eyes out at the end of it, you know, to the point where, like, there weren't that many people in the cinema, but it was a bit fucking creepy, to be honest. But I was talking to a counsellor about the fact that I was in bits at the end of it, right? And she said, and she was asking me, but why? And I kept going, well, you know, because they got stuck there. And, you know, some of them, you know, and why? And I was like, well, you know, Tom Hardy, you know, what a hero. And, but why, Jeff? She kept asking me, but why? And in the end, I went, because I was the only one that got off the beach. And it, like, it was... Now, I was laughing when I said it because it was so over the top. It was so American what I said. I was the only one that got off the beach. Um, I was comparing. And also, I realised that it was a bit of a reach, uh, me comparing my own loss with one of the landmark moments in World War Two and something that helped form the British psyche. But... I, look, it's, it's a thing. It's a thing, survivor's guilt. And if, uh, you know, I know that particularly if you've lost um, a friend, uh, somebody of similar age to you, or a brother or a sister or something like that, I'm not. it can happen with any age, but people are a similar age to you or you feel like you've had something from life subsequently that you felt they should have had, uh, it, it, it can be a thing. If you don't tune into it properly, that can come out in destructive behaviours because essentially it's about self-esteem. So you start... You know, what I'm saying, basically, is acknowledge that you're, you know, might want to ask yourself if you're feeling survivor's guilt. Because if you don't, or, or you could just find yourself standing in front of a fixed odds gambling machine. And you go, oh, finally, fucking understand why I do this stupid stuff. So, look, I'm sorry if this was, um, like, a bit of a heavy one, but it's one of those things that I think is worth saying. So, I'm going to try and be really upbeat now to try and offset just how fucking heavy that was. Hey, I'm going to go on like, yeah, Capital Radio. Okay, coming up, we've got George Ezra. I'm just going to do that until we all feel fucking relaxed again. Uh, as ever, I'll be reading out at the end of the show some of the people that gave me five-star reviews. I'm going to read out one in this instance because it's uh, this is from Tom Swing King. And he titled his review, Sweet Chin Music. Tom says, so he starts off with, I'm a long-haired Corbyn supporter, but love a pint. So I'm going to pick an accent for Tom. I'm going to go West Country with this, I think. I'm a long-haired Corbyn supporter, but I love a pint. A pork pie and a good chat about the cricket. The bouncer analogy relating to anxiety really struck on with me. Jonathan Trott struggled with the short ball in 2013-14 down under series springs to mind. That is a great shout, Tom. That is exactly what I'm talking about. Top class podcast, every bloke, regardless of your political beliefs, should be listening to this, especially the men's corner. Open a book tickets for the tour soon, Tom King. Thank you very much for that, Tom. And also, he does bring up something, you know, about every bloke. Do do I have any female listeners at all? I mean, is this just a, is this just a straight up sausage fest? I don't mind. I don't mind. I don't mind. Um, but if there are any, any female listeners and stuff, Maybe I'll do like a real uh, women's health corner. That would be good, wouldn't it? Try and try and mansplain women's mental health to them. See how that goes. So look, this is the end of the podcast. Subscribe, rate, please recommend. Uh, we went past, we went flying past 10,000 downloads off the last one. We've returned 
to the global top 10 of comedy. We entered the top 50 of all categories, right? And I know some people top 50, Jeff. Look, there's a lot of podcasts out there, and, and that was uh, a bit of a boost. So if this is your first listen, go back and listen to some of the others, because they're not all directly topical. And I particularly recommend the one with Andrew Doyle, because people seem to have really enjoyed that. And look, uh, enjoy your week. Thank you very much for listening. I've been Jeff Norcott. Most people think.